Praise God. Praise God for his word today, honestly. Um, I know it's, it's a message that we hear constantly over and over. You know, um, repent. Are you born again? Reevaluate yourself. These are things that are very, very important for us as Christians. Not only to constantly reevaluate ourselves where we are, but also to, to keep in focus the one thing that is of most, utmost importance, which is Christ. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear the message, and I'm really happy to hear that it's still being preached. Praise God for that. And we do need to have our eyes opened and, uh, yeah, open up your hearts. Really, conviction is good. It, it's a healthy thing. It, it's not a bad thing. It's condemnation that's a bad thing. If you condemn yourself where you are, that's when you do not make a progress. You make no progress. You're stuck in that spot. But when you take the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you root that in, in prayer and you root that in, in realizing how, how sinful our nature is and how easily we slip away, that is when we're able to actually grow as Christians. Um, my topic that I'm going to be talking about today, actually, I've thought about this topic um, for quite some time, and uh, it's an interesting topic. I don't know if you guys know the difference, but uh, I'm going to be talking about objective versus subjective truth. And it's a good thing to know the difference between these two because a lot of times Satan uses them against us. Well, he uses subjective truths, and he likes to make us think that subjective truths are objective truths. So I'll let you guys think on that for a bit, and we'll see if the clicker, wait, okay, uh, it doesn't work, so if, if I, yeah, okay, um, okay, so what is the difference? So the first definition, the first definition says that it's an objective, so this is not object, this is not truth, but this is just the word objective when it's searched up, it says that it's not influenced by personal feelings or opinions in considering and representing facts. So it's not considerate of, of your feelings. It's not considerate of like different situations. It's, it's fact. It's not changing. And in subjective means that it's based on or influenced by personal feelings, tastes, and opinions. And you guys can search up these definitions. They're, they're, you just search them up on Google. Um, and then, if we go to the next slide, I want to use this example right here. I, I've heard it spoken in this way, and I've really liked it, and I want to show you guys this, what, what it means. So, as you guys can see here on this, in this picture, there's, there's a picture or a painting, and that is considered the object. Now, if we're describing that object, that object is mounted on the wall, right? So, the, the object is on the wall. That is an objective truth. Whether you like it or not, that, that picture or that, that painting, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's, it's on the wall. It's mounted on the wall. Now, the subject, he can have an opinion of that picture. So if he looks at it, he says, that, that, that object's not on the wall. That, that picture is not on the wall. Does it matter? Does his opinion matter? Is it, is it on the wall still or no? So his opinion of that painting doesn't change a single thing. So what I'm trying to get at is that an objective truth is something that 
cannot be changed by our feelings, by our emotions, by what other people say. It, it doesn't change. If it is a truth, if it is an objective truth, it, it, it's solid. It cannot, be, it cannot change no matter what anybody says. So just like that painting, it, it doesn't come off the wall. It's on the wall there. So no matter what the subject, which is the person in this case, no matter what the subject says or does, I mean, unless he takes it off the wall, yes, but no matter what he says by his own opinion, it does not change the fact that the object's on the wall. So if we go to the next slide. You guys know the answer of this, so I just decided to fill in the blank. This is, I promise, this is, not, this is the only math thing. I'm going to be asking you guys, I'm going to put up a couple things, and I'm going to ask you if it's objective or subjective. Do you guys think you guys can handle this? Yeah, yeah? Okay, okay. Let's try this. The girls sound more confident. Guys, come on. It's, it's not math, I promise. Uh, so, one plus one equals two. Is that objective or subjective? Objective. Okay, let's, oh, there you go. You guys are right on that one. Okay, the next one, let's see. Apple is the best brand. Wow, objective. Brothers, I hope you're joking. <laughs> They're holding up their phones. Okay, is this, okay, it's subjective. Because someone else, by the way, guys, there are people who use other devices as Androids or Windows or, yeah, Apple's not the only, it's not the only brand. All right, the next question. God exists. Objective? Don't, don't put it up. Just Okay. <laughs> okay. It's okay. You guys got it right. Yes, that's good. But I was going to go, my point that I was going to make is God exists. A lot of people, I, 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 like there's, there's studies done, but a lot of people, the point, the topic on God existing being an objective truth, they, they tend to take that and they tend to make it a subjective truth, meaning what they do is, is they'll be like, yeah, I believe in God, but it really depends on other people's opinions. They say that, yes, I believe in God. I trust, you know, that there is a living God, but it really depends on, according to Sally, Jimmy, and Bob, if they want to believe in something else, they totally can. And that's the way the world perceives God. They don't see it as an objective truth, but to us, we know that God existing is an objective truth. No matter what you say, cannot change that. Now, don't put the next one just yet, but for this next one, these ones, they get a little bit more interesting. Okay, let's go with the next one. Sex before marriage is immoral. This one, a lot of people, what they begin to do is this is where things can get a bit more tough. Not, not like, I'm saying like, according to the world, they, if, if you're coming up to, let's say, someone who, who is not married and they're taking in this sort of action, and if you come up to them and you try to tell them that that immorality is not according to each and every single person, because if you go to the world and say this is immoral, they're going to look at you and say, Why, who are you to say that? They're, they're going to almost put you down for it they, they, because they're being convicted. But what happens to us many times is if we come up to someone with the word of God that we know is objective and, and we come to them and we know that people get offended, right? 
And if we don't stick to our ground, this is what I'm getting at. If we don't stick to our ground as Christians, to what the word of God says, and if we're not rooted in his word, then we begin to take things like this and we begin to make them subjective. Not because we say it, but because the way we simply react. So someone can, you can be in a conversation with people and, and they bring up this conversation and you just, you don't want to be the only one that sticks out and says, it's immoral. And you look at them and they, they're like, you know, they ask you like, oh, what is, what, what do you think about this? You're like, well, I, I, I think, I think is a big think is subjective. I think it's, it's not something that we think. It's something that we know. If we live by the word of God and the word of God is the truth, then that is immoral completely. Done. It's, it's closed. That is truth. No matter what you think, no matter how you feel, no matter anything, that is truth, that it is immoral. And if someone out in the world, they come to us and they ask us, hey, you know, like, do, what do you think about sex before marriage? You know, like, what are your opinions? You have to say, it's, it's immoral, it's wrong. Like, what are you talking about? You're, you know, like, who do you think you are? Why, like, and they, like, I hope this, like, you know, somebody doesn't come up and just bombard you with these, but this is how the world gets, uh, like, they get offended and they begin to, to attack us. And if we don't stand our ground, we begin to make an objective truth a subjective truth. So, what do you guys think? Is this, okay, well, I kind of gave it away, but is this a subjective or an objective truth? Okay, objective. Huh? Okay, um, sorry, I'm like trying to think. All right, and then um, let's go next one. There are only two genders. I don't know if you guys have ever seen um, it's this YouTube channel. The guy writes, there's only two genders. He's like, um, change my mind, yes. Have you guys seen those? The debates that go on. People come up and they're like, how dare you? You know, they get so heated and they're like, they're so offended. They're like, how can you say that there's, there's only two genders? And he's like, well, you know, like if we go by the word of God, God created man and woman. He didn't create Zim Zim, I don't know the rest of them, but just, you guys know what I'm getting at. Though, by the way, yeah, this is a little funny to us, but to them, this is an offense. To them, this is, this is going against their entire belief, their entire, I guess, their morality. Like, they, they believe that this is, this is true, but that's subjective. Because they personally, they say, we feel this way. Or we've, we've seen or they, they use their own experiences or they use their own convictions. You could use, I don't know, another word for that. But they use their own things to, to change what truth is. And there being only two genders to us, we know that's objective. We know that that is true, that through the word of God, that that is not changed. You cannot have more than two. Yeah, that's another argument the world will make, another argument that the world tries to make it subjective. And what do you guys think? There's only two genders, objective or subjective? Wow, you guys are making me really proud today. You guys are doing good. Next, the good type of proud, not, I, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, the basis of a subject truth. Sorry, I get used to reading off of my PowerPoint sometimes. Um, so, there's three things that I put up there. There's 
feelings, tastes, and opinions. These are what a lot of, this is the, defi- the definition up there. Well, the subjective, I put the definition there. And it, it says that the subjective truth is influenced by these three things. So that means that by our feelings, we all know that our feelings fluctuate, right? You, you wake up in the morning and, and you're like, you know, today's going to be a good day. And then you stub your toe and then you kick the cat. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that go on. Your mom tells you to throw out the trash and now your whole day's horrible, Your feelings literally went from like here to there to there to there. They're constantly changing. And your feelings, they're fluctuating. They have no solid like foundation. They have no root. They're just all over the place. And then you go to sleep and oh, you're happy again. You know, like the end of the day. Tastes. By that it means what you like, right? Preference. For for example, like for a lot of us, um, well, for us guys, I know when we're like in... I guess you say elementary, we really want to be cops and firefighters and all these cool things or astronauts. I have yet to see any of our youth go for astronauts. <laughs> but these are things that we begin to change. As we grow older, we realize, hey, this is not like rational. Like, I, like this is not something that is practical. Like I know that, you know, if I want to be an astronaut, I'm going to be gone for this much time and there's no surface up in space, you know? And it's like... Um, services, I mean like church services, but, (laughs) okay, I'm glad I clarified, Um, but our tastes change, and even to the cars we like, I mean, the older you get, you know, how it was said, like, you know, you want to get a better car, a fancier car, or like a computer, like a fancier computer, and it's like, your your tastes constantly change, you're like, all the brothers, they really like Apple, but like, one day they're going to switch over to Android, and you never know, you know, Tastes change constantly. Our styles, they change. One day, like one, one year we like, I mean, if we all look at our baby pictures compared to now, I think you'd all be like, wow, yeah, our tastes have drastically changed. The, the, way, we, the way we dress, the things we wear. So our tastes, our tastes are also very up and down. They're very, they have no same thing as, as our feelings. They have no like firm like foundation to them. They don't stay consistent. The last one is our opinions, and this is a big one, because if you have an opinion towards, towards something, and let's say, for instance, that, that something ends up changing, like let, let's say, I don't know, okay, an opinion, I guess you could use a puppy, right? When they're tiny, you're like, that thing is so cute and adorable, and then it gets older, and you're like, hmm, that's not as cute, right? Like, that's just a basic example. I grew up with a lot of dogs, and so for me... I think that sometimes, forgive me, but, you know, they're not as cute when they get older. Um, so opinions also, um, not only from, like, animals or anything, but there's a lot of times people make opinions in the Word of God. And with time, they begin to get convicted, and then their opinions change. So even our opinions fluctuate and change. But our opinion doesn't change what the Word of God says. So if, if you have an opinion of, let's say, for instance, I'm trying to think of an example of something that you could be wrong in the Bible. Let's say that you think that, I guess, being humble is, is like, you think being humble is, is, is not a cool thing. You're like, oh, wow, you know, like, you know, you have to, like, work as hard as you can to get to the top. You have to push everybody aside. You have to step on others to get as high as you can on the ladder because that is where my success is going to be. 
And then God radically transforms your life and you become born again. You begin to be enlightened by the word. And then all of a sudden you're like, God, like humble me. Because his word says that for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That your opinion changed. But now that becomes truth in your life. Because now you're focusing on the objective truth, not your subjective truth. So if we go to the next slide. The next slide is on objective truth. And objective truths are based on facts and history. So in objective truth, we know we can, we can check the facts, right? And then we can also go back in history. And like if somebody said, for example, this is a huge one, Jesus rose from the dead. And, and you're like, some people don't want to believe that. But if you go, well, I guess that's what I'm, okay, let's go with Okay, I got my train of thought again, sorry. So if you go back to the accounts of the disciples in the word of God, we all know that Jesus Christ did raise from the dead. And according to his word, which not only that we have like proven facts, we have generations. If you go back in time, even if a lot of people say Jesus never existed, but if you go back into history, it was recorded and we know that Jesus was around. We know that Jesus did exist. So that is one way we can, we can prove object, objective truths. Now, if we go to the next slide, why is it important? Why is it important for us to know the difference between an objective and a subjective truth? I'm going to read what this says. I found it. This is very interesting. I found it on a website. And uh, it says that according to a research, recent survey, over half of American adults say you get to decide what's right and wrong for yourself. And it's not just those outside the church who think this. It's prevalent even among those who attend evangelical churches, with 46% rejecting the idea of absolute moral truth. Those are big numbers. You'd think that outside of the church, okay, I get that. You know, in the world, 50, what was it, 58? 58% of the people say that it's all up to you. You can make your own choices. You're the one who gets to decide, you know, your truths, you know? So it's like, there's, there's no, like, firm, you know, you can, you can choose whether you want, you know, to be a different gender. I'm just talking about very, like, re relatable, um, relatable topics, but in the world today. And, you know, they're kind of like, you can choose whatever you want. And they're saying, you know, whatever you want, you can be anything you want. They're just, they're very open, but in the church, you'd think that within the church, everybody's like, everyone is saying that the word of God is the truth. The word of God is, is what truth is. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not, but God resists the proud. That is a fact. You know, there's word after word that tells us and reassures us and confirms these things. But the world, there's people in church that they live going to church and they think that Truth is all up to everybody. There's no absolute moral truth. That means they don't believe in the Ten Commandments. 46%. That's a big number. That's within the church. That's not outside the church. That's in the church, 46%. So if, if we aren't firm on, on our objective truths, if we're not firm on the Word of God and being rooted in His Word and believing every word it says then we're, we're just being tossed left and right. We have no foundation. 
And it even goes back to when, when Jesus tells us that for the joy that is in you, like, you know, people will, will ask you, like, hey, what is this joy? But how do we have joy if our truth depends on our circumstances? How? How can you be- begin to even, like, have any sort of, like, foundation if, if your truth is not based on something that is never changing? Go to the next slide. evangelizing, preaching the gospel. If we think that truth is dependent upon every single person, so let's say, like, you got to have your own truth, you got to have your own truth, you got to have your own truth. That means that we no longer feel or think it necessary to go and to tell someone else about Christ because we say that, oh, he believes in an afterlife that he's gonna go and he's gonna, you know, they, a lot of people have their own ideas of afterlife. They say, you know, you're gonna be able to, like the Vikings, they believed in like Valhalla where you're gonna go and you get to drink as much as you want and do, like their, their, their mind is focused on, on a heaven that is completely different than our word. But if we're Christians and we don't believe that the word of God is true, then we look at them and we say, oh, he's allowed to believe what he wants. So then does that mean that, that you don't believe in what is true? Does that mean that you don't have a solid foundation? Like, if you're dying tomorrow, you're like, oh, but that guy believes in that, this guy believes in that, and you have no firm foundation. You have nothing to ground yourself in. Where are you going when you're dying? And a lot of people nowadays, they're, they're searching for that, that solidity. They're searching for that, like, foundation and they have it they don't have it we look at the news and it's constantly changing we look at like there's there's no solid truth everything is subjective now and a big part of it is because a lot of it we care about what people think but yet when we look in the word christ did not care what people think he would tell them about drinking his blood and eating his flesh when he had a huge crowd and they would all leave and he'd look at his disciples and say are you two gonna leave are you gonna leave as well he did not care about popularity he did not care about how many people came to him yet in our generation we're growing up in a time where churches are getting so big they have millions of members and the pastors are going against the word of god they're making it subjective saying that You know, we believe that abortion is all up to the person. We think that you should allow them to make the choice. Is that subjective or objective? Subjective. They're going against the word of God. And if it's in one area, it's in, it, it scatters over everywhere. It's, it's not just in one thing because if you're not serious in one part of the word of God, you're not going to be serious in a lot of other places. I want to bring us to the, the reading, which was from Genesis 3. You guys are probably wondering how am I going to connect these, but praise God for his word. So if we read here, we know, we know about the temptation, and we know about the fall of man. And something, so the part that I want to focus on is, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and it says that, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your, he, he, he shall, 
bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This was a promise that God made about Christ, about the coming of Christ. This was in the beginning where everything started. This was a promise that God made. And when God speaks, every word that comes out of his mouth is objective. He is God. He created the heavens and the earth. He, when he says something, it's not subjective. It's objective. When he said, let there be light, the light wasn't like, ah, I don't feel it. Nope. There was light. When he made everything, it just, it doesn't, there was, there was no struggle here. It's just one after another, everything followed along with God. And you know where it all stopped? At man. God told man what to do, and he gave them their own will, and they decided to do their own thing. It was subjective. She felt and she got lied to, and Satan said, has God said? Hath God said? Is it really true? And he comes to us in the same exact way in our temptations. He comes to us in that exact way. And he makes you feel, and he takes the objective truth that we should not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and he takes that and he says, oh, but you really feel like it. And he makes it subjective, and we fall for the subjective truth so much faster than we do for the objective. As we keep going in the word, the way that God proves that he's, his word is objective, we see that God goes on to, there's the flood, and then after that, the covenant with Abraham. From there, we begin to see they go to Egypt, they're enslaved, and all this time, if you could just imagine from person to person to person to person, every single person was debating, is God there? Or like, you know, like when another point um, to make is like when, when God told Abraham that he was going to have a child, you know, he, after he tried it on his own, had Ishmael, then God God told him, Sarah's going to have a child. And he, he couldn't believe it because subjectively, he's too old. There's no way, like Sarah's way beyond like her even giving birth. But God stood faithful. His truth was, was, his truth was truth. I mean, truth is truth. I'm just, I'm, what I'm meaning by objective is to bring back the point of like objective doesn't change. So if we keep going on, there's the people in Egypt, they start crying out to God, and, and they're also thinking that has God left us? His promise, his promise was that he was going to bring us to a land, and they start calling out to God, and God once again shows them that he is faithful to his word until even to the point where from the very, from the very beginning of the word of God, where he promises that he was going to bring a savior, that he, he says that from the seed of woman, he would bring, and I'll put enmity between you and, your, and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your heel, head, and you shall bruise his heel. And this was 
This was a promise that Christ, that he will send a savior. And that savior was Christ, who later came and, and, and fulfilled this promise. God constantly proves himself faithful. And when we're in our circumstance, when we're in our time of struggle, it's so hard because, like, you know, it's so hard to think that, you know, okay, objective truth, it doesn't matter whether, how I'm feeling, what I'm feeling, what's going on around me, it doesn't matter. God is going to be faithful. It's so hard because we're living in our, in our flesh. We're living in a world where we, we see with our physical eyes, we hear with our physical ears, we feel with our physical touch, everything is in the physical, and when everything in the physical goes wrong, all of your senses are being bombarded, and you're like, you can't think on the spiritual. You can't think of God's promise. And that's when it's the most important. That's why we are to die to our flesh, pick up our cross, and grow in our spirit so that our senses in the spirit become stronger than those in the flesh. So that when your feelings start to, you know, go all over the board, then your spirit is telling you, God's got this. God's in control. He works all things for good to those who love him. And when you begin to use the word as the objective truth, not a subjective truth, your feelings make it subjective because you think that just because I'm feeling this way, it's okay, it's different. But that's not true. God's word is always true. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. And if you guys have your Bibles, definitely open up and follow along. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So the Bible tells us that Jesus is the same today, forever, and always. And there's... There's a verse that, that tells us to rejoice always. It says that if you think about God telling us to rejoice always, it's so easy to, to, to take that and make that subjective. Because you're like, God, you told me to rejoice, but, you know, I, I have someone, like, something just happened that's horrible and and. and I'm trying to think of an example, but anyway, think of like something horrible that just happened in your life. To everybody, it's different. But, or like going for, trying to get into a certain class, you don't get in. You're like, God, but like you, this verse that says rejoice always, you, we begin to take it and, and we begin to think it's okay to not rejoice. Feelings and emotions are okay. Those are, those things are, are okay to their time, but in our spirit, we are to always rejoice. We do have a flesh. It's not a sin to cry. It's not a sin to have emotions. But what I'm trying to get at is, is to not lose our, our faith and our trust in Christ. We're to rejoice in him. 
that we have salvation through him. And our, our foundation in rejoicing is in Christ because he never changes. If, the, the, if that verse, the reason why we can actually rejoice always is because God never changes. You know, there's a verse that says that God doesn't give us more than, you know, like he, he doesn't tempt us beyond our, our abilities or beyond what we can go through. And that's true. But we tend to make it subjective and to say that, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I am a special person. I go through more extremes. I have like, we create these realities that are really subjective. Now, some of you guys might wonder, then, then what is the point of, of all these ups and downs? What is the point of, of why are we struggling through our feelings, our emotions, our, you know, the circumstances, the challenges? It's all to grow your faith. If we didn't have a fluctuation in our feelings, we would have no issue believing in God. We would be the same forever and always. We would always have this straight line of, you know, like just, we'd be like, God's word's God's word. But because we struggle with our feelings, right? Because we struggle with all these things. Because I sat down once and I thought about it. I'm like, man, it's so hard to, 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 tr- like, to live by these words. And I'm like, what's the point of all of this? But if you really think about it, how do you get stronger in your faith? That's God's goal. How do you strengthen your faith? It's through challenges. So if your emotions are constantly changing, you're, God's trying to build your faith so that no matter what your emotions are saying, His Word is controlling your life. His Word is what you're rooted in. First Corinthians 15. I'm going to go to there. First Corinthians 15, 14 through 19. Starting at 14 says, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and our faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised of Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, if in fact the dead do not rise. So he's, he's talking about raising from the dead, and, but this point he's saying that if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And, and further down it talks about, at 19 it says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So he's here saying that if our truth is subjective, right? If it's based on our own opinion, we're the most foolish. And to the world, we look like fools. They think that you guys are trusting in something that, that doesn't exist. You guys are trusting in something that doesn't matter. And to them, we look like fools. 
Because we hold on to this. And believe me, if you don't believe, like Christ, if he did not raise from the dead, then all that we do, all of our preaching is pointless. It has no point. Actually, I saw in the school over there, it says that if you don't have Christ, you're like an unsharpened pencil, pointless. It's pretty good. I was like, wow. And it's like right next to, I think it was like the, the or for Sunday school, I think it's like the preschool. But that's so true. You're like a pencil without a tip. I know it's like an analogy, but your, your life is pointless. If you don't believe in God's word that Christ was risen from the dead, you're a fool. Like you, as in, you have no firm foundation. The foundation that we're always supposed to come back to. And oh, another thing, another thing that I try to bring up to people is that Christ is the only way the world does not like that one because they say that, you know, if you look at like, there's a lot of these main speakers like from like these big churches, they come to Oprah's show and things like that. And they say, um, I've heard it once and they're like, do you think that Christ is the only way? And they say, well, it's really, it really depends upon, and they, that instantly shows that there is no firm foundation. It shows that they don't believe that the word of God is truth through and through. They believe that it's all according to people. There's a, I'm not gonna open to the verse, but I'm just gonna read it from here. It says that, for all have sinned, this is from Romans 3.23, for the sake of time. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you say that you are without sin, right? If you say that, or like the world, they say that, you know, like I'm a good person. If you say you're a good person, you're going against this word that says, for all have sinned. If the word of God is objective, then you take the word of God and you say that, no, I'm a good person. And you think that you are able to save yourself by your own merit. And the world loves to use that term. There's, there's, a, there's a guy, Ray Comfort, on, on uh, YouTube, and he talks um, to a lot of random people. And the, the biggest thing that he comes to, well, he comes to them, he tries to make them see that they're sinners, so he goes through the Ten Commandments. And the people look, and they say, but I'm a good person. I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done that. But if you go according to the Word, the Word says, for all have sinned. The world, the world says that, I'm a good person, but that has no power to change that God is going to condemn, that God is going to judge the whole world. Your feelings don't change that you're going to be judged. And that's something that we need to remember is that my feelings day by day are not going to change that in the end of time, I'm going to be judged by an almighty God that is perfect and holy. And that if you do not have Christ if you do not have Christ, you have no hope. No hope at all. And there's an interesting point I thought about. When, when somebody is dying, you see it in the movies, or I don't even, I've, I haven't seen it in person, but you see it in the movies at all where the person is dying, and the person is dying, and they're like, hey, it's okay, you're not going to die. And they're saying that because the person, because they want them to feel good. 
But why is it good to fear death? Because it brings us back to where are we going to go after we die? It brings us back to the truth. You know, no matter what you felt your entire life, you're about to die. Now you have to think. And if you're being, if, you're, if your mind is being flooded with something else, that you're going to be okay. I thought about that. And I'm like, that, that could rob somebody of their salvation. Maybe I'm thinking too deep into it. But if you tell someone they're okay and they're not okay because you care about their feelings, are you really caring about them? Or are you just trying to, to make them feel good? which that doesn't help at all. The wages of sin is death. That's another truth. We all die. We all need to read the word of God and we have to realize that there is no salvation apart from Christ. That that truth is objective. It doesn't change. And when the world is trying to convince you of another way, of another Christ, of someone else, we say, no, Christ is the only way. And we stand our ground. The reason why we don't stand planted and we move all over the place, why, why we run from thing to thing is because we tend to take truths as subjective. And it makes us weak Christians. It makes us Christians that cannot stand on the solid ground and on the solid foundation of Christ. And that, if you look at people in the world and their sin, and you start looking at the whole world in an objective truth, that God is who he says he is, that his word is true, then you will begin, you'll begin to see that if somebody's doing this, they're, they're not going to get away with it. Everything, every word that is useless, every, every word that, that um, we use kind of like, carelessly will be judged when we begin to take these verses seriously then we begin to actually live out a christian life and when we begin to to preach the gospel or tell others about the gospel we don't shy away from the things we think they need to hear because we feel like they'll get offended but we begin to tell them the true and the whole gospel i'm going to close off with one story actually I remember when I was in high school, there was, there was, you know, there's the people that, you know, or the people that like the same sex, or I don't know how to explain them, but at one point, like, I, I knew some of them in my high school, and, and they were super friendly. They were just like, it, they didn't seem like bad people to me. And at that time, I wasn't, I wasn't really in the Word. I wasn't a true believer. I wasn't born again, you'd say, and I, I was, I was just living, but I knew it was wrong. And when my first time that I heard about it, I was like, that's insane to me. But the more I wasn't in the word, but the more I would see these people around and they would get good grades. And I'm like, wow, it almost seemed like there was nothing wrong with them. And the same thing happens with all of us. We're living in a generation that it takes truths that are objective and they, they spread out a subjective truth Right? It seems like it's truth, but, but it, it's got a little bit of twist in it. But they, they, they bombard us with all these different things that seem to be okay, and we begin to fall into it, begin to buy into it. Because we don't listen to the truth that is supposed to set us free. The Word tells us that the truth will set you free. It will cleanse you. And so going back to 
an objective and subjective truth. Are you taking God's word subjectively? Are you taking God's word and making it your own word? Are you making it the way you want it? Are you making it palatable for your taste? Or are you letting God convict you? Are you letting God transform you? And you're saying this truth is not changing. It's an objective truth and it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter my circumstances, anything. It does not matter. Christ is the only way and Christ is coming back. Those are objective truths that no matter how you feel, no matter what you think, those truths are happening. And if we don't start today, today is the day of salvation as we heard. Today is the day that we can change. If we don't start today, we're just gonna be continuing to get carried away. If you make the word subjective and you think that you can be saved in the end, that's a true fool. If a, a fool is someone who, who makes things in their, kind of like changes things to their own liking. So if you take the word of God and take it and change it to how, how you feel, you have no foundation. You have no, no truth to stand by. So as we all, we're actually going to kneel. And as we, as we kneel to pray, if you feel like you've been subjective your, your whole life, and if you feel like you've been influenced a lot by your subjective truth, ask God to transform your heart so that you no longer fall into that.